So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew in chapter 8 and um, reading from verse 5 and we're going to read in Ephesians 5 as well. So, um, and so we can turn there afterwards. But Matthew chapter 8, <clears throat> uh, reading from verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And I say to another, come, and he cometh. And to my servant, do this, and he doeth it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said, to them that followed. Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. Now turn with me to Ephesians in chapter 5, please. Ephesians chapter 5, reading from verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the saviour of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your precious word, O God. We thank you that it's a light to our feet and a lamp to our path, O God. I thank you, Lord, that it's used for rebuke, reproof, O God, for instruction, for doctrine, O God. Lord, for forming us into your son's image, O God. Lord, for, for, for correction and for leading, O God. Lord, I thank you, O God, Lord, that we don't have to come and try change your word, but your word changes us, O Father. And Lord, that we don't... Lord God, come condemned, O God, but convicted, O Father. And Lord, we ask you, O God, Lord, that you'd help us, O Father. Lord, to be dealt with by your word, O God. Help this preacher, O God, to minister your word, O God. And help us to have open ears, O God. Open hearts, O Father. Lord, open eyes, O God. Lord, that we might have ears to hear what the Spirit has to say, O God. O God, that we might treat, O God, this... uh, this thing of marriage with great sobriety, O God, and somberness, O God. Lord, that we wouldn't treat it as a light thing, O God. That we wouldn't think of it as something that one just does, O God. Lord, but a way for you to be formed in our lives, for your son's life to be shined, O God, through us, O God. O Father, that we might see it, O God, as couples, O God, as single people, as ministry unto you, O God, and that we might apply it unto our hearts, O God, in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name. So last week we dealt with the saviour of the body. Last week we dealt with this same scripture, the saviour of the body, speaking about how Christ is the head of the church and he is the saviour of the body. And how in the Bible they draw a comparison and a likeness um, to Christ being the head of the church and the husband being the head of the home or being the head of the wife. That's what the word of God says. And so we cannot deal with the headship of Christ or the headship of the man over the woman without also dealing with submission unto the head and submitting unto that head that is Christ. And so I took this scripture from Matthew because it's an important one speaking about authority and authority structures and what it looks like to be under authority. This man, we know this portion of scripture very well, is a centurion. He's a captain, that means a captain over 100 men. He's a Roman soldier and he's a reasonably senior one. He's not just entry level, he's got 100 men underneath him. And he explains what that means. He says, I say to this man go and he goeth. And to another come and he cometh. And to my servant do this and he doeth it. But recognize he does not say that he is a man in authority. He says he is a man under authority. That word in Greek, under authority, is hypo, which is under, and exousia, which means power, right, or authority. You might have often heard of someone dying of hypothermia. It means having your uh, temperature in your body below what the normal level is. Hyperthermia is the opposite of that. It's um, It's when it's too hot. Um, so this, he, he is a man, hypo-exousia, he's under authority. There's a number of different places this word exousia is used in the Bible. In Matthew uh, 7, it says, for he taught them as one having authority, or exousia, and not as the scribes. In John, it says, as, though, as thou hast given him power, exousia, over all flesh. That's God speaking unto Jesus. 
Matthew 9, but that he may know that the Son of Man hath power, exudia, on earth to forgive sins, then uh, saith he to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up thy bed, and go unto thine house. And then lastly, this is not, the only, this is not an exhaustive list, just a number of scriptures that I've pulled out to communicate what this word exousia means. Matthew chapter 10, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them exousia, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. So this centurion is saying, I am hypoexousia, I am under authority, there is power that I am underneath. And see, God puts the disciples, uh, gives them power, gives them that power to cast out demons to, and all these things. So from the authority that this man is under is where he gets all of his power. This man, as a centurion on his own, with just the weapons that he had, would not have had any power or authority, but put him into that structure of the Roman army, and that's where all the power comes from. He is subject unto Caesar. He's subject unto the governor of that land, and he is subject unto the authority. But he says... I am not in authority because he is. He's in a position of authority where he's over 100 people. He is under authority. And this is a very, very important distinction. We spoke about it last week with the husbands. They don't just do their own will, but the will of the Father. Why is that? Because Jesus does not do his own will, but the will of the Father. Jesus himself is under authority. He is not the overall authority. There's God the Father, Christ the husband, the wife. That's how it works. It works down like that. Or God the Father, Christ the church. You cannot but overlay these two things. They are one in the same, inseparable. And that's why if you have a correct view of Christ and the church and the authority structures there, then you will have a correct view of marriage and your own home marriage. You see, the church is subject unto Christ. In Ephesians 5.24, it says the church is subject unto Christ. Now, this is a different word, subject. I mean, it's hypotasso, hypotasso. So again, hypo meaning under, tasso. That word tasso means to arrange or to place in order. To convey, the term conveys the, conveys the idea of willingly placing oneself under the authority or arrangement of another. And the English definition to subject is to bring someone or something under one's control or rule. So the church is subject unto Christ. Amen. We all agree with that. There's no arguments here. Of course there is not. Because the church has to be subject unto Christ. If the church is not subject unto Christ, then it's the church of the Laodiceans. It's their own church. It's their own formation. It's their own thing. Rugby teams have managers for a reason. They are subject to what the manager says. If the manager says, no, you're playing in number nine today, then you're playing in nine. You're not going to say, sorry, I'm playing number one. It's not going to happen. And if it did, you're going to get dropped. You would be completely ousted from that team. Why? Because there's important authority structures and they're there for a reason. Without it, it's chaos. You see, there will be some form of authority. It's either, In the church, it's either going to be Christ or it's going to be man. That's how it works. This is the churches, and we spoke about it last week, headless churches going around without Christ, living whatever way they want. But the church must be subject unto Christ. What does that mean? It means that when Christ says something, we have to do it. If Christ says, go into all the gospel, um, go into all the world and preach the gospel, we have to do it. We don't just do it because it's a good thing to do and because we want to grow our church. We do it because the Bible says we have to do it. Why do we preach the gospel? Because Jesus preached the gospel. We just copy all of the things that he did. And so when the Bible says we have to deal with something, then we must deal with something. We can't just forget about it. If the Bible says that no fornicator will go to heaven for all of an, will go to heaven, then we cannot pretend that that person is a Christian. Keats often told stories of where you have uh, young couples in fornication, maybe in the worship teams, maybe sitting on the front rows and the pastors won't deal with it because, oh, they're just too loving. You don't have such liberty. You are subject unto Christ. If you don't deal with it, God's going to deal with you. It's the same thing with parents and their children. We deal with our son and correct him in a certain way and that is the way the home must correct him. We're in unity. We believe the same thing about it. And so if in the instance that 
you know, he's not allowed to touch a mug in the house, and he does, and he's not corrected properly in the way that we normally would, then somebody's in trouble. Either I'm in trouble when uh, Anna's in trouble with me, because why do, I said, why didn't you correct him? Why didn't you give out to him? Or maybe I've let it slack, and she says, what are you doing? That's too much talking, not enough doing. And saying to God, it's because we're subject unto an authority. Why do we even correct our children? Because the Bible says if a father doesn't correct his children, he doesn't love him. It's the word of God. I don't just get to raise up my child whatever way I want to. I don't just get to decide how I'm going to do it. I have to go to the word of God. And so when in that home, I want to implement a way of raising our children, then it's not my will, it's the will of the Father. And so it's not just my ideas and my thoughts. Yes, God has delegated unto me to oversee that work in the house, but we're doing it according to the pattern. We're doing it the way that God has intended it. The Bible speaks often about these things. And so the church is subject unto Christ. So what does that mean? The church is under the control of Christ. It's under the rule of Christ. It's under the dominion of Christ. Christ oversees the goings-on in the church, and we would do well to not ever lose sight of that. We look to Christ in all things. If you want to be a Christian here today, you must call upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You must seek His face for all of these things. It's not us who decides who's Christians. It's God Himself in heaven. He is the one that dishes this out, not us. God help us. You're lucky that it's not me who decides who's saved and who's not saved, but this is a work of the Holy Spirit. This is a work that God Himself has done. The church is willingly under the control of the rule of Christ. We are willingly under the control of the rule of Christ. Nobody here, and thankfully we have a wonderful congregation, that nobody would argue that we're under the headship of Christ and no one would want it any different. Not one, maybe our flesh might, but the new man that's looked, the new men and women that are looking back at me would not want it any different because we tried living our lives the way we wanted. We tried doing it our way. We tried leading our lives the way we could, and we all made total messes of it. I know all the lives in here. I know my own life. We could not live our lives properly. And so what did we do? We asked ourselves, Christ, will you be my head? We subjugated ourselves unto the Savior of the body. Why? Because he's a good God. Because because he said, give me control of your life. My, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And that's, that's much better than what I had in the world. What I had in the world was drug dealers, taskmasters. I was in debt. I had parties that I never had the strength to leave. I had, I had uh, fleeing from family members and all these different things. I was trying to live my life my own way. I was subject unto the devil and his ways, unto my flesh and my own ways. And then I said, Do you know what? If I'm going to be subject to someone, if I'm going to be a slave, let me be a slave to Christ. That's is the purpose. You know, in, the, in Hebrew, it speaks about that love slave, the person when they're a servant and they're with their master and they love being there so much that they say I love if they say that I love my master plainly then they're supposed to be brought to the doorpost and all is put through their ear so they put they put a mark through their ear blood is put on the doorpost and then that's it you can never get free from that master they are now with that master but they wouldn't want to be free from that master and it's the same with Christ when we met with Christ we stood beside the doorpost someone put an all to our ear and in blood that covenant was written and said I'm never going to run away from you he promised to never leave me nor forsake me and I'm promising to stay by his side all the days of my life why wouldn't he all he ever does is good all he does is love us he's the savior of the body why would you not long to be subjugated under Christ himself because he is a good God he is a merciful God he is a wonderful savior he, our brother Roy read from that scripture today what greater love uh, than a man had this that he lay down his life for his friend God himself sent his son to die on a cross so that you could be forgiven of your sins is there a greater love than that there is not it's a rhetorical question there is no greater love than that so why wouldn't you want to come under that person why would you not want to come under Christ and all of us have done that that's how you get into the kingdom nobody comes to the kingdom without saying not my will but thy will whilst you're holding back a piece of your heart for yourselves you will not get there but once you throw up the hands in surrender and say Lord whatever it means if it means I lose friends if it means I lose family if it means I lose spouses brothers sisters houses money lands jobs careers anything 
no matter what the consequences. And I believe for me, that's how I got saved. When I came to a point when I said, no matter what the consequences are, I'm going to come on to you. Because up until that point, I was holding a little bit back for me. How are things going to change with lads? Maybe I won't have any more friends. How am I supposed to give up this drug addiction that I'm so, uh, that I'm so uh, bound to and could not in natural means get rid of? And yet, I realized that all of my fears... See, what, what God did is he raised up all the issues in my life. And so it came to a point where, do you know what? I don't want that life anymore. If that's living, I don't want it. Do you know, oftentimes people who don't like to take pain medication will bear and bear and bear. But there comes a tipping point where it says, okay, I have to... Uh, this, I'm submitting to this, uh, the effects of this pain medication. I need something because I'm in too much pain. I cannot function. It is just getting to a point where it's too difficult. Many of you do that with the dentist no one wants to go to the dentist until your teeth are falling out or until you've got a pain up the side of your face and arm and mouth and 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 you've got nothing left on one side you've been chewing with this side for four years and then when this side just starts bleeding and you just can't feel anything then you say okay I'm going to the dentist do you know what? That happens with salvation. You come to a point where life becomes... It doesn't have to be like that, saints. To the people that resist like stubborn mules, it'll be like that. It was like that for me. I spent months trying to live my own life and live my own way, whatever way I could. And it got to the point where God just had to make my life worse and worse and worse and worse. And I got to the point where if this is living, I don't want to know. Okay, Lord. I knew I had no control over my life. I, that's what he showed me. I was desperately doing my best to live the best life that I possibly could. And he was showing me that all of your attempts were futile. They didn't work because he was ultimately in control. And if you want to live your life in a halfway house for the rest of your life, knowing God's existence, but being the one at the party who's being a drunken evangelist telling your friends who think you're strange, then fine, so be it. But I knew that I could not live that life any longer. I had no control over my life or at least very little so I said Lord you take what little control I have I subjugated myself to him I put myself under him I subordinated myself and said you are now my redeemer and with that he now owns something of me he redeemed me he was my nearest kinsman he was the one who reached out the hand and so I said your will not my will my will is only trouble my will I think I'm so smart but my will only gets me in issues. I willingly subjugated myself to him. I willingly became the subject of the king. I wanted to be like that prodigal son, just a servant in the king's house. And that, because that was certainly better than eating the pig food of the world. That pig food of the world, it's going to get you, it's going to keep you ticking over for a while. But those servants in that house are treated better. Saints of God, we're servants in the house of God. We're servants to the king of kings. And servants, as a servant comes responsibility. If there's a servant in a house, house and, and you ask him to maybe do whatever it is that servants do in houses um, and then he doesn't do it he's an unwilling servant then you're it's not going to be long till you uh till you um fire them do you know I, I stayed in Sri Lanka for a while they had domestic servants in the house they live there it's a good job for people from mountain villages and all that stuff they get to live in nice houses and all that sort of stuff his job was looking after that family one of them was a driver so he would just drive the family around <clears throat> wherever they needed it. If he rang and said, no, sorry, I'm not, I'm not driving you here today, they would be saying, well, what? hang on, that's not the contract. You didn't sign up for this. What do we pay you for? Or perhaps they were supposed to drive, he, they were, the driver was supposed to bring him somewhere, and then they say, <clears throat> he says, oh, I just took your car and I went over here, you know, uh, because what's mine is yours, right? And yet we do that with Christ. You see, when Christ redeemed us for a price, he, he redeemed his bride, and then that was his. You know the story of Hosea? The, the prophet in the Bible <clears throat> who God told him to go take a wife of whoredoms. He had children of whoredoms. He, had no, he was not even sure that these children were even going to be his. She was out there and she was, uh, she was uh, doing all of those things. And God said the reason was my people are playing the whore with all of the different gods of these nations and nobody cares. You're going to know, Hosea, what I feel for Israel who are playing fornication, spiritual fornication with all of these other gods. What does Hosea do? He eventually goes, he redeems his bride. There's a market where it's a human trafficking market. They're buying and selling prostitutes. His woman is up on the stage and what does he do? He goes and he redeems her. He buys her back. He pays a price. You might say, oh, how could you do such a thing, Hosea? That's God 
God's love for you. You have put him through the same things. God has paid a price for you, and with that price comes a great responsibility. We've resp- and no one, no one uh, would argue with me with that. We have a responsibility to the one who saved our souls. He paid the ultimate price. And when someone, you know, we often use the phrase with Elias, he knows who butters his bread. He, he listens to his father. He listens to his mother because he knows the hand that feeds. He understands if there's food coming, be nice to that person. He understands a very small price. Jesus Christ, he was the one who died for us. And so we understand that he paid that great price. So he requires something in return. It says in Colossians, he, Christ, is the head of the body, which is the church. Christ is the head of the body, that is the church. If you ever had any wonder as to what the church is, it is the body of Christ. It's in the scriptures. Now ye, speaking to the church, are the body of Christ. So every born-again person is the body of Christ. We have been made this body. And as the members of the physical body hold a lower position to the head, this is to represent the relationship of Christ and the church. The church is subordinate to Christ. Subordinate's not a bad word. It means lower than. Our heads are up here. The members of our body are down here. God created Christ the church and he created your human body in human form and he did it all to preach the gospel he's preaching when you look at your brother and sister walking around and the head is up here and the body's here praise God they're preaching Christ in the church the head and the church the body is below the head and it's there for a reason because the head is not necessarily only more important but the one that makes the decision and makes commandments unto that body and they speak to that body The members of the body do the will of the head. What did we hear about the man who was under authority or under power? Um, the, The centurion, he said that, I say to this man, go, and he goeth. Say to another, come, and he cometh. To my servant, do this, and he doeth it. Every single one of you, for the most part, your limbs are functional. If you want to drink a cup of coffee later on, you will pick it up, drink it. Your head will communicate to your hand that the body needs a cup of coffee right now and will consume that cup of coffee. And we understand when you have Parkinson's disease and multiple sclerosis, all these degenerative muscular diseases, the, the body, those, those connections start to go wrong. You know, with, with MS, it's, uh, it's stuff forming on the neurons in the brain that doesn't communicate as effectively to the body. You see people with Parkinson's, they, they shake and they tremor and, and, and all those sorts of things. There's, there's something very wrong. And it's the same with the Bible. These lines, or sorry, with the church, these lines must be clear. They're, the neurons must be firing. The head, Christ, must be able to communicate to the foot or to the hand, do this, and then it does it. If the head communicates something to the body and it doesn't happen or it isn't done, there's something wrong. Just like that person with Parkinson's, that the body is unhealthy, the body is sick, the body is not working. The body is hypoexusia. It's under the power of the head. When I tell my legs to go, they go. And when I tell my arms to bring me something, they bring me something. And when I tell my body to do this, it does this. This physical body is subject to the head. And again, like we said last week, this is a great mystery. Christ and the church. Let's go to Ephesians 5 and 22 again, please. It says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. The church is subject to Christ, so wives are subject to their husbands. It is generally accepted that the church is subject to Christ, but when you say that the wife is to be subject to her husband in the exact same way, there is often a struggle, and thankfully, generally not in this church. But that's where all the ifs and buts come out. Oh, what about this? What about the other? I can't be subject to a man. I cannot be dependent upon my husband. All of the extreme fringe cases come out. Oh, but what about this? What about that? And you know, it's, it's, it's almost akin to arguing. It's arguing with the word of God because I'm not here preaching that this is why I feel like I have 
liberty to preach because if I was preaching my own opinions on this matter, I'd feel like I'm going to get my head taken off. But I'm preaching uh, the Word of God, and this is what the Word of God says. It says, so let their wives, so the church is subject unto Christ, so let their wives be unto their husbands in everything. And yet you present that scripture, and there's ifs, there's buts, there's extreme fringe cases. What about this situation? What about that situation? Often these situations and fringe cases, they don't even apply to the person asking them, but they, they're using it. Why? To get away from what this thing is. The wife's purpose in the marriage covenant is to fulfill the will of her husband. The church's function is to fulfill the will of God on earth. So for the church, her, her function is not to fulfill her own will. It's not to fulfill the will of the congregation members. It's not to fulfill the will of the financial donors. We'd all agree with that. We, the body of Christ, has been placed here on earth to fulfill the will of Jesus Christ and to fulfill the will of the Father, the Word of God, to work it out, to be a light unto the heathen nations and to proclaim Christ unto the Gentiles. That's why we are here. And so it's the same thing if you were at wives, young wives, wives just married, wives to be married. If you want to know what it means to be a wife, it's to fulfill the will of the husband in that home. And how can I say that with such authority? Because the husband's not fulfilling his own will in that home. The husband is under Christ. He is subject unto Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ is not fulfilling his own will. He's fulfilling the will of the Father in heaven. We are all under some form of authority. And we must be. And husbands, it must be evident to your wives that you are under the authority of the Christ. That you don't do your own will, but you're doing the will of Christ in that home. And I think when that is evident, then the rest comes easy. It becomes easy for a wife to submit unto her husband for those things. So she's not there to fulfill her own will, not to fulfill the will of the children, not to fulfill the will of her employer, but to fulfill the will of her husband. It says in 1 Corinthians, Unmarried women care it for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy and, bo and uh, holy both in body and in spirit. Now, can I just say something? If you're unmarried and you're pining over marriage and longing to be married, can I say that it is a holy calling? They say she, the, the single woman, she, that she thinks about being holy in both body and spirit. That's not lesser than being married. That's not under any different situation than being married. That is just as important. But she that is married careth for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. Now, the scripture balances this. Just before that, it speaks about the married man considering how he may, the same language, how he may please his wife. But I want to focus on this, how she may please her husband. There is no problem in the belief that the church and her members think about how to please Christ. No one disagrees with that. This church, by the grace of God, considers daily how are we going to please Christ. Christ. How are we going to fulfill his will? Why did we go on the streets yesterday? Not to add to our numbers. We went there in obedience to Christ. And I say we because I went with you in spirit. When one goes, we all go. Why do we come here on a Sunday to worship God? Because we're fulfilling the will of Christ. We're fulfilling the word of God, doing the will of the Father. We think often, how can we please the bridegroom? How can we please Jesus? The opposite is also true. And we think if we do that, would it grieve the Holy Spirit? Spirit. Would it, grieve, uh, would it grieve our bridegroom? Is this helping us to prepare for the day that he is approaching? And so we think about those things. No issue with that. But wives, do you consider how you might please your husband? It's something that should be uh, in the mind always. In the, the, in the same way the Bible says that the husband is to uh, wash his wife in the world. He's supposed to love his wife just as Christ loved the church and wash her in the world. Husbands, do you think about how you can wash your wife in the word? How you're going to, and I don't know what form that takes for you. I don't know what way that is, whether it be in-home Bible studies, whether it just means reading the scriptures, whether it means watching uh, uh, sermons together, whether it means playing scriptures or playing sermons or, or talking about scriptures, open up a scripture and talking about it. But we must be washing our wives in the word, but not because God thinks it's a good thing. Because why? 
Christ is washing his church in the word all times of the day and night. That's why we preach the word of God. That's why we don't come and we just play songs all morning and say we let the Holy Spirit lead us. We, this is leading of the Holy Spirit. Preaching the word of God is the leading of the Holy Spirit. And husbands, we're called to wash our wives in the word. But in the same token, wives, we're called to please our husbands. And when we get this balance perfectly right, it's absolutely beautiful. It says in Titus, and the ladies here will be extremely familiar with this, because Candace so often, um, so often uh, preached and spoke about these things. It says, aged women teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, Keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. The expectation is that wives will consider the needs of their husbands before their children. To love their husbands is here mentioned before loving their children. The focus of the woman, the focus of the bride is to be uh, a uh, not a mother first, but a wife first. Why? Because the body of Christ is a wife first. She is first a bride, married to Christ, waiting his return, and then out of that comes life. Once the conditions of life are there, once that holy matrimony and union is established, then it's safe to bring children into this world. So in the terms of the church, it's new converts. Then is it safe once we're committed to Christ, once we're washed in the word of God. And that's why the, 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 the focus of the wife is to be to the husband. And I'm not just saying this because I'm a husband. I'm saying because the focus of the body of Christ is to be unto Jesus. It's to be unto her husband. That's why I can say this with great authority. It's an important point. You see, the Bible assumes that married men will care about pleasing his wife and that the married woman will care about pleasing her husband. But a godless world has told men that it's emasculating to dote over your wife and that it is old-fashioned for a wife to subject herself to her husband's authority. We've been told that from the moment we grew up. Today, the church is a feminist. She's not the bride. She's not the Shulamite that the Bible talks about. She's a single mother. She has no bridegroom with her. That's what the church of today is. And we're re-establishing this headship of Christ in the church, forging a vessel of recovery. But it must start in our homes it must first be there the authority must first be here within our homes and once that authority is put in the homes then it all comes into Christ this is Christ and the church this is what the real church is aged women teach younger women to be sober to love their husbands to love their children to be discreet chaste keepers at home good obedient to their own husbands that the word of God be not blasphemed these attributes of the wife are to be attributes of the church. When the church is no longer obedient to Christ, then the word of God is blasphemed. God help us. We all have those horror stories of all those super charismatics uh, over in America with their uh, jets and their houses and their uh, massive football stadiums as churches. That is a church that has no husband. That is a church that is operating on under her own steam. You see, she has lost these things, not obedient to her husband. And so as a result, they've become their own uh, church, a church of their own vanity, of their own imagination. So all of these things we read in Titus, these should be representative of what the church is to be. And what is the church? It's the body of Christ. What's the body of Christ? It's made up of you, all the born-again people in this church. We're one body and many members. And so this should be our attitude towards Christ. We should obey him. We should do what he has to say. We should listen to him. You see, it says, And whosoever will be chief among you, let him to be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So, you know, we often think nowadays, because we live in the feministic kind of society where we're, we're looking for uh, equal rights and equal all this stuff. And I'm not saying we're not equal. We're different. Of course we're equal. Jesus Christ died for everybody. That's why there's no racism in the Bible. Christ died for all. That's why there's no uh, sexism in the Bible. Christ died for all. Jesus died for the whosoever. He died for everybody. No one is any different. No one is, is higher. No one's lower. I'm not better because I'm in this pulpit. This is, my, this is the role I'm fulfilling. And the role of Brother Yannick here today is to sit here and to listen to what the Word of God says. This is encouraging me by people sitting and listening. We all have different roles. That is the body of Christ. 
It is a beautiful thing to serve. You know, oftentimes we think, oh, how we, you know, even the fact to say such a thing is inflammatory, how she might please her husband, and yet is an absolutely beautiful thing. We think how we might serve Christ. It's beautiful. Jesus Christ served others. He was the one who washed the feet of Judas. And we don't think that we should have a servant's heart. We serve each other. We t- bring each other tea and coffee. Brother Jer has a, uh, uh, you know, has a renewed hip, doesn't walk great, and yet he's bringing trays in and out of the kitchen. He's doing what he can, and we all should be doing the same thing. If you want to be the most in the world, then you have to be, or in the kingdom of God, you have to be the greatest servant. Even as the Son of Man, he didn't come to be ministered unto, he came to minister. It's an absolutely beautiful thing to have a servant's heart inside of your own home. And I serve my wife. I, you know, if I'm going to embody what Christ is, then I'm not in this home thinking she should be thinking how she should, uh, um, how she should please me and minister unto me. No, I'm thinking how can I minister to her needs? Why? Because Christ died for the church. Of course you would have no problem submitting to someone who's willingly showing that they're going to lay down their lives to you. And Rory asked the question in the Lord's table, would we die for one another? And I think... I think the answer to that question is, are we doing it already? Because it's not a case of would you take a bullet for your brother, that's when you're going to show that you can die for your your brother next to you, but are you sacrificing for them here and now in this life, in the little things? What does the Bible say? If you're faithful in a little, God will give you much. So it means that, you know, people often worry about whether they'd be able to be martyred for the Lord. All you have to worry about is being faithful in the little things today. If you're in your workplace, are you preaching the gospel? Are you dying to yourself? Are you preaching to your family members, no matter what the outcome might be? Are you preaching to your colleagues? Are you preaching on the streets? If you're not going to go out into the street and hand out a tract, what makes you think that you're going to be able to get, uh, be, be martyred for the faith someday? We have to get these things right and in order. We must be faithful in the little things. And so, you know, Rory asked the question, would we die for each other? You could answer yes if you're already dying for your brother and sister. You can answer yes, and I'm not asking you to, but if you're already living a life that puts other people's needs before yours, then you can answer hand on heart and say yes. You see, Jesus Christ came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Do you come to church services to minister unto people or to be ministered unto? This is why we've got so many anxiety disorders today, so many depressions and mental health issues today, because we've grown up in a world that's all about me, 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 my happiness, what I have to do for me, you do, you, YOLO, all these stupid other adages that people live their lives by. They've run from the gospel. But I'm telling you, if these people ministered unto, others then they would feel much better in themselves there's an incredible blessing to minister unto others but you know what it takes death it takes death I was speaking to someone in the last number of weeks who was facing into a serious trial something that was uh, gonna cause them great consternation and they died to that thing in themselves and they saw the fruit from it saints of God one of the reasons I stand and I preach the gospel is because I've seen the fruit and it takes death in me spent most of yesterday um, uh, preparing didn't get to go on the streets with all of you saw the pictures I was jealous there's a sacrifice in preaching the word there is a sacrifice in living for the Lord but there's great blessing that comes out of it there is joy and fullness forevermore wives if you serve your husbands there's a beautiful thing to see that man operating in maximum 100% capacity speaking to Paul after um, after last Sunday talking about you know, the description and all those things. And, you know, it says about the wife, we have to give great care, great attention, uh, giving them respect and honor as unto the weaker vessel. But you know what? That vessel is very weak. But, man, the power that that vessel has over a man or a husband, that's very, very strong. If you, you, you they do not understand their importance and often belittle their own value. But once, if things are right between Hannah and I, I'm telling you, I could take on mountains. I could climb Everest. I could go against the armies of 10,000. I, I could say, 10,000 to flight, no problem whatsoever. If she uh, laden upon me the superlatives found in the Song of Solomon, I am telling you right now, I would be able to do anything at all, or certainly I feel like it. And you know what? It starts with that, that desire and ability. But the opposite is also true. If that little tiny piece, not tiny, but let's say that weaker vessel, is not functioning appropriately, the whole thing comes crumbling down. The Bible says that the wise woman builds her house, but the foolish woman plucks it 
it down. You know, what I find interesting about that scripture is both of those things require energy. So you're either going to put energy into building your house or you're going to put energy into plucking it down. Demolition work is easier. Anybody who's ever done any uh, home improvements or anything, you'll know to demolish something is quite easy, but it does still take time. It's not something that can just be uh, put to the side. It is a very real a part of, uh, you know, our brother Ethan does bathroom fit outs. When you come in, you have to take out the old bathroom, put in the new. Ta that taking out process, maybe is it a day or two? It is faster than putting in the new, but there is still work you're going to either work to build up your house or you're going to work to take your house down. Because I've seen it. I've seen people, uh, you know, they, they cut off their nose to spite their face. They deconstruct their home just for the sake of it, just because they can, or maybe they're offended because of something. It should not be the case. We would not do it in the church. We could have a wise church that builds up her house, that builds up the house of Jesus Christ, that builds up the kingdom of God, or we could be a foolish church that takes it apart and is on the side of the devil. And it's up to us what we want to be. It's up to us what we want to be. Jesus Christ himself came not to minister, not to be ministered unto, but to minister. So if you have a problem with this idea of ministering unto others, then take it up with Christ. It's an ungodly ambition if you have a problem with those things. You talking, thinking about yourself, your own creature comforts, your own desires, how you feel about a situation, it is not right. We're here to pour out ourselves for others. For the husband to be what God has called him to be, and for wives to be what God has called them to be, it takes a great sacrifice, but nothing worthwhile is easy. If the things that I've said, they're challenging. What, what I spoke to the husbands last week and to the men is challenging too. And remember, this isn't just angled at, um, at, uh, at, at husbands and wives. You know, I'll often listen to something. I've listened to a sermon that was geared purely towards women. And as I'm listening to it, all I'm thinking about is my attitude towards Christ. Husbands, you're not, you shouldn't be sitting there breathing a sigh of relief because you're off the hook. But you should be thinking, is this my attitude towards Christ? Maybe there might be a way that you'd like your wife to treat you. Are you treating Christ in that exact same manner? What we are is what we will be, and it's as simple as that. For husbands to give his life to, to give his life to his wife's benefit, it is not easy. For a wife to be subjugated herself unto the husband to serve him, it is not easy. For the church to serve Christ and to prepare herself for his return, it is not easy. That's why you can't find them. Do you know a virtuous woman who can find? She's one in a one in a thousand or, or whatever the number is. Who can find? The Bible says that's speaking about a virtuous church too. And we've had people come here from the school, people online who watch us online. Always the, the, the comments are, this is our church. We have none within our area, none within a two or three hour drive. We cannot find them. A virtuous church who can find? None of these things are easy, but within them there's blessings. And if you order your home appropriately, there'll be such a beautiful and sweet savor. But for men to do that right, it means death to self. And for wives to do that right, it means death to self. This Christian life is a life of self-denial. Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your, what does that mean? It means sit in the electric chair and then follow me. That's the entry point. That's actually the start. People think, oh, once I'm spiritual enough and walk with the Lord, then I'll know what it is to die on the cross. No, 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 no. You start at that cross. And from there, when was Jesus resurrected? He first died on the cross. Then he was raised up three days later. That's where newness of life comes into. At the foot of the cross. The cross is an instrument of death. It's not easy. It's not easy to live, uh, to live a life of self-denial, but that's what God himself has called us unto. That's what God himself has called us unto. In Ephesians, later on, <clears throat> it says, This is a great mystery. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. You know, we often think... Uh, Someone that the, the modern day might look at saying that the husband is to love the wife and the wife is Smith's husband and say, Oh, well, that's not fair. But can I ask you, as a church, would you trade places with Christ? Would you want to trade place with Him? Would you want to bear the sins of the world upon your shoulders? 
Well, I wouldn't, certainly not. As one member of this body, I would not have any great desire to take that upon me. Not just the death on the cross, but to live. Now, we are supposed to emulate that. But if I am to embody what Christ is, if it was called upon me to be that, we would all be in big trouble. What he did was impossible. Ladies, wives, that's the way you should, view, that's the way you should view your husband. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. Husbands, love your wife even as yourself. If that means your wife wants you to do something for her, maybe you might think it might be unreasonable. Just do it. Maybe in a time, you, there might come a time where uh, you might be able to work around to changing things, but just do it. How, what will it cost you to just die to that thing? If, if, if perhaps she needs you at home and you think, when you're, when you're there, you think, well, what, was I, what am I home for? What's the purpose of this? Everything's in order. Just be there. Be patient. Just love them. That's the purpose. Just be around. Maybe just be around your wife without having something that you have to be around for just to be present, just to be there. You know, I'm guilty of that often as men and we're, uh, you know, we're, we're, um, we're busy, we have lots of things to do, we have work, we have things with the church responsibilities and our lives and our weeks often get segmented in tasks and things to do. But what about just being with your family just with nothing to do? And maybe there's no reason to be there, just to be present and to be there and to just enjoy their company and to see what comes out of that. It's absolutely beautiful to just relax for an evening, relax for a night. This is what God has called us on to. And you know what? That will speak volumes to them. Oh, she's not submitting to me. Well, maybe pour out your life for her. Now, wives, it's not for you to think about whether he is loving you or not. And we're going to look at that here. So it says, nevertheless... So this is the Apostle Paul making a summary of this whole thing that we've talked about. Christ and the church, uh, husbands washing, his, washing their wives in the word, wives submitting unto their husbands, husbands leaving father and mother and becoming one flesh, uh, uh, becoming one flesh. He says, this is a great mystery. So in summary, this is one summary. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. So husbands, love your wives even as yourselves, but wives, see that you reverence your husband. Now, <clears throat> as a wife, if you've ever thought, he's supposed to love me, or if you've ever said, God forbid, you're supposed to love me as Christ loved the church, well, I would hope that the follow-up sentence was, uh, and I'm supposed to revere you as my husband. And I'm, oftentimes that is not the case. Do you know this word, revere, in the Greek is phobeo, phobeo. And this is where we get the English word phobia, Someone who's afraid of spiders is an arachnophobic. Um, you know, if you've got something phobic, you're afraid of that thing. It doesn't like that thing. That's where we get phobia from. So this word reverence in Greek is phobio. The, word, the English word reverence from, is from Latin, reveri, re, reverere, and it means to stand in awe of. So the Bible saying, wife, see that she stand in awe of her husband. This word phobio means to fear or be afraid, to be struck with fear, to be seized with alarm of those struck with amazement, to fear, to be afraid of one, to revere, venerate, to treat with deference or referential obedience. Now remember, think about Christ. Don't think about your situation. Don't think about your husband. Don't think about your family circumstances. Think about Christ and the church. Does anybody have an issue with standing in awe of Christ? No, I would hope not. When Christ, when we are caught up to meet him in the air and when we're in heaven, we're going to sing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. I'm going to stand in awe of him and I hope you're going to be standing along with me singing those exact same songs. This is what, this is what we're called to, Christ and the church. Does anyone have an issue with being afraid of God? The fear of God. The Bible speaks about it. the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. We are supposed to fear Him. The Bible says, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. That word terror is phobeos. It's just, the, it's just the noun version of this word, which is the verb version. It's the same word. Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. So we should know that God is a terrible God. He's a terrific God. He's a terrifying God. And He created the world. He holds the universe within His hand. 
He is able to, he is able to do whatever he wants. When Joshua uh, thought about stopping the sun, he was able to do that without any ramifications after that. That is the God whom we serve, and the body of Christ stands in awe of him. We sing a song, we stand, we stand in awe of you. We, we sing those songs, we have no problem. And yet, in the home, because the husband dies for the wife, or should live a life of self-sacrifice unto the wife. The wife is to revere, phobeo, her husband. And saints of God, these are not easy sayings, but I gave you one. This is a perfectly balanced machine. When this is put in its rightful place, you have such a beautiful union. And that's what this is, union. Myself and Hannah, we are so unbelievably different in so many ways that you would think that we could never live in the same house together and yet in some ways we're so similar and the bits in the middle where you think there should be arguments the blood of Jesus and that's where we build this is a, it, it, rather than becoming a point of contention it becomes a place of unity it becomes a place of balance and so this is the church Christ and the church is a perfect balance you have a great God who died for the inhabitants and the members of that body and you've got a church then that worships him and loves him and adores him and magnifies him and with every bit of worship that that church gives unto Christ it comes back in spades Christ showers blessings upon you more and more and more and more this is the beautiful and perfect union of the marriage covenant and it's in the home that's the place it's be this word phobias 93 times is used in the New Testament in this form it's in other forms as pho sorry phobeo it's in other forms as phobias everywhere else it is used as fear afraid feared fearing or fear only in one place one place in the bible is this word used as reverence once and that's here everywhere else it's used for fear afraid fearing fear now i just want to say and make this very clear the bible and neither do we condone any forms of violence towards women. Not even a little bit. If you're living what I preached last week, you're going to be what? What did I say? You're going to be tender. You're going to be gentle. You're going to be kind. You're not going to take their head off. You're going to consider things. You're going to be patient. You're going to be soft. You're going to give great and incredible respect unto this person. So there's no fear of abuse. People often think, oh, but what about this? What about that? What about... No, no, no. If this is operating as it should be, there's no fear of abuse. It's perfect unity. It's perfect balance. So it's used as fear, fearing, afraid. And like I just said in that scripture, knowing the ter therefore the terror, the phobos of the Lord, we persuade men. If you've ever thought it... We cannot separate husbands loving their wives from wives revering their husband. They're absolutely inseparable. And if we have a church that, this is the modern church, isn't it? Oh, God loves me. He loves me. Oh, he saved me from my sin. And he made my life so good. And I've got such a good job. And he saved me. He got me to college. And, you know, this, and he gives us great music and good people. And we're just happy, clappy all the time. And yet there's no reverential awe from that church. There's something wrong. That's why when we come, we're in the altars, we're praying at half ten, we're saying, Lord, if you don't come, we're finished. We don't, want a, we don't want a church of our own understanding. Oh, Lord, if you're not here, even I stand into this pulpit preaching these things fearfully, very, very fearfully. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to preach something that's my own thoughts and not founded in the Word of God. And if you can find something that I preach that could not be backed up from the Word of God, then please point it out to me afterwards. I would love to hear it. I stand here fearfully with a desire to sincerely do the will of God and the body of Christ should do the same thing. Wives, just because your husband is kind and gentle does not mean that you should not fear him. Many wives um, are much more afraid of their children today than they are of their husbands. I often hear it. You hear about what this kid will do or what that kid will do or we can't do that because the kid. I never, I rarely hear we can't do that because uh, my husband does not like that. We can't do that because he doesn't think it's good for us. Very, very rarely. Wives, you should be saying to your children in correcting, daddy said we're not to do that. And then husbands, when you're correcting your kids, say the word of God says you should not do that. There's a perfect, perfect, 
perfect, beautiful authority structure. The Bible does not anywhere condone physical violence towards family members, not least the wife. If you think that this is how a man generates respect, you need to listen to what I said last week. I think cowardly men would raise a hand to a woman. They're men that do not have any temperance. They do not have any control of themselves. They are ones who are vicious. And that's the modern view of what a man is. I grew up with that. I grew up with a man, not that he abused my mum, but I grew up with a man that what manliness was, was a man losing his head. Just losing his temper, giving it to some poor service person behind the desk, screaming at some fella, putting someone up against the wall when you're just walking down the street, getting out of your car when there's a motorbike person in front of him. These are all things that Mr. Talili did in years gone past that little Soph saw. And so this is what I thought manliness was, was a man just able to fly off the handle. Now I know from what the Word of God says, a true man has control over himself. The Bible says if you have control over yourself, you're stronger than the mighty. Look through all the scriptures and Proverbs that talk about someone who is able to keep a control over themselves. See these fellas out there screaming at people, particularly women or the friends. They're boys. Little Elias, he's a little boy. And what does he do? He screams when he doesn't get his way. They're little boys. They're little cowards. And any fellas who think they're big men because they know how to fan their wings and all that stuff, that's not a man. A real man can control himself. He decides. The Bible says be angry and sin not. Men can get angry. There's nothing wrong with that. It, it, there is a place in the home if those children are out of order and if it's bad enough, you should get angry with them. Their anger is perfectly fine. Jesus got angry, but it's control and it's a decision. There's a difference losing the run of yourself in emotion and becoming angry that's not godly but deciding i am saying i am angry about this choosing to be angry what did jesus do he went and he made a whip of small cords notice that word made he had to think about it he had to go over find what was good tie it onto himself and then then he started it wasn't just an act of passion he decided when he was going to be angry he had control over himself that's real masculinity is somebody who has a control over their emotions the bible says that if someone strike you on your cheek what do you do you turn your other one it's very easy to strike back it takes a real man to turn the other cheek it takes a real man to say to do what the word of god says it takes a real man to take that upon himself to maybe jesus look at him he took the humiliation of the smacks and the strikes that's masculinity everything that jesus is is real masculinity so when i talk about a wife having reverential fear for her husband i am so and you all know me you know what you've been to many of you have been to my house i am actually in in temperament a very easygoing uh, individual i don't like to put pressure on people i'm happy when other people are happy but you know what in my home that cannot be the case because what will happen is my children will walk all over me and then my wife will become the head of that home because oh i don't mind oh you know if hannah says oh what you want to do about that i don't mind whatever you want then i'm deferring every single decision onto her Every single decision then goes on to her or it gets, what happens is the decisions get put on to the person who whinges the loudest or who cares the most. So the wives often care most about things order inside the home and the children whinge the most. So what do we do? We end up gearing our homes towards the children because they're the ones who are crying tears and then the husband is just left off to the side to work until he's 65, die of a heart attack and then uh, give everything off to his children. There's no respect Saints of God, we have to put in place, again, respect for fathers. We have to put, children should not just speak to their fathers in whatever way they want. And remember, I'm a modern, I'm a modern young man, okay? I grew up telling my dad, why are you freaking out? Like, you know, so so I, I didn't have that fear. I'm not saying I'm this. I am I'm bringing what the word of God says. And I'm saying, let's reestablish it. Let's unindoctrinate ourselves from the things we learned out in that world. And let's indoctrinate ourselves with the word of God. It's so vitally important every single day, be it your phone, be it in work, be it on billboards, be it on the radio, be it on the television. All of these things are trying to steal the word of God out of you. Read in the Bible what happens when that, the parable of the solar, he goes around spreading the seed. The seed is the word of God. And very quickly, the fowls of the air come, they steal it. They say, oh, that's not important. Oh, you shouldn't reverence your husband. Many of the wives in this church, when you stood on your wedding day, part of your vows were, I reverence you. Maybe you didn't know what that word means, but you said to your husband that you phobeo him. You fear him in a 
terrifying way, just like in the Word of God. And I think once our hard attitudes are right, everything else comes easy. Very easy to submit to someone if, you're, if you approach them with fear. If you approach them with a kind of a, with a, kind of a te- trepidation that we would approach God. Would you ever just turn to the Lord God Almighty and tell him, you need to be here at this time or else I'm not coming? Or would you ever turn to him and say, I don't like the way that you're handling so-and-so. I don't like the way that you dealt with this person. We wouldn't do that. Far from it. We would not do that. We would come to God. We come that blood sprinkled away because you know what used to happen if you didn't come with the blood sacrifice? The high priest died by coming into the Holy of Holies. Now imagine, this is Christ in the church. If that was how we brought every single thing to our husbands, I think we would have much more harmony in this world. You see, the scripture makes a perfect balance. He tells the husband to be so sacrificial, so loving, so tender towards his wife. Perhaps the man could be forgiven for thinking, well, will, that, will this not leave me to be walked all over? What about my life? Will this not lead me open to terrible abuse? And yet the same is for the woman. Both sides wonder about the possibility of abuse and yet if we just worried about doing our own thing then it would work in perfect union and matrimony that's what it's called it's a covenant God's words to husbands do not be a tyrant in your own home and God's words to wives is fear reverence and respect him and you'll be glad to hear that I am finishing up shortly in Matthew 10 and 28 it says and fear them phobio not sorry fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear or phobio him which is able to destroy both soul and body that's the same word for phobio the wife is called to reverence to phobio her husband in the same way you phobio god because he can cast you into uh, your soul and body into hell it's It's what the Word of God says. This is not my opinion. This is what the Bible says. The same fear we're to have for God and for uh, for the one who can destroy both body and soul is the same fear wives are to have for their husbands as unto the Lord. He says, wives, submit yourselves unto your husband as unto the Lord, as if he is the Lord. We know that scripture. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. So what does that mean? It means when I'm in work and I'm given a task, I don't do it as if my manager has given me that task. I do it as if Jesus Christ himself has come to me and handed me that task. He has asked me to do it. And if we treated all things like that, then we would be much, uh, we'd be much more wary. Speaking on this thing of, 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 of reverence, in, in, in Genesis 18, Abraham, what's he doing? He's pleading with God for the sins of Sodom. He's pleading with God for a city where his... So God's about to destroy a city that his nephew, his grand uh, grand uh, nieces and, and, and nephews are there, his, his family inside in Sodom. It's about to be destroyed. Does Abraham turn around and tell him that he's so unjust? How, how, how could you do that? You, 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 you shouldn't do that. You're just losing the run of yourself. No, Abraham answers and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. He's saying, Lord, look, I'm just dust and ashes, but what about 50? If there's 50 righteous, would you? So he's not coming saying, how dare you destroy 50 righteous people, God? You're a maniacal maniac. No, far from it. He's saying, I'm just dust and ashes, and this is only my opinion, but you do what you think is necessary. Later on, he said unto him, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. You read this, and you read of a man who has a great respect for the person that he's speaking to. And if I spoke to somebody, if I, if I was facing an executioner someday, and they were going to chop off my head, and they said, give me uh, a number of reasons why you should uh, live, I'm going to be very gentle. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, look at, look at what all the uh, men in the Bible, men of God, Daniel, Nehemiah, how they spoke to wicked kings. They spoke with an incredible fear and respect. And those kings were wicked. Your husband is definitely not wicked, far from it. Um, New creatures in Christ are not wicked if they walk with the Lord. But what am I saying? I'm saying that this is the attitude of the church towards Christ, a reverential awe. And we often do that as the church. Oh, I won't read my Bible today. Hang on, what makes you think you have a choice? Oh, I don't want to pray today. You treat things very lightly with a great level of familiarity. I am, I am, um, 
I am able, I do that often too. Um, so this is what the church is supposed to be. The church is supposed to be in awe of Christ. And I think once attitudes are right, it's very important. You know, whenever we deal with anyone in this church, if the attitude is correct, if their attitude towards correction is right, everything else comes so easy. It is just so easy to speak to them, to deal with them. You bring them to the word of God. Even if issues arise, and issues arise with genuine, real brothers and sisters all the time, and even if real issues arise, if their attitude is right, if it's an attitude of submission and desire to be changed and challenged by the word of God, then it's just so easy to deal with those people because you just say, look, this is what the word of God said. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, you're right. You know, we were talking to Rory last, uh, on Friday, we were talking about when he first came in, you know, he was full of knowledge, full of wisdom, had been on YouTube for years, learning loads of things. And, um, and uh, I said to the guys, myself, Paul, Keith, we're talking after he left, and I said, he's either going to be an incredible blessing or a big problem. And you know what? The difference, what, all that it took was, and he was a great blessing, has been a great, he's still here, so he must be. But, <clears throat> but what, it, what it all came down to wasn't the knowledge that he had already, because he's, he's changed his opinion on something since he's came in. He's been dealt with on something since he's came in. Everyone who's ever come in here has been challenged on their preconceived notions since they come in. But it, it, what it all came down to was the attitude of heart, not the information, not the desire. It's the same in the home. It all comes down to that. Men, you don't have to know 10 steps to how to die for your wife. You just have to have the right attitude. You just have to, okay, how can I sacrifice for her today? You're, you're thinking, okay, I could do this or I could do that. Well, what's the thing that thinks about being most sacrificial tomorrow? How can I die? Okay, I want to do something like this. I even think this is important, but maybe it might mean a lot to my wife. Let me do that. Let me do that thing. And saying to God, it's an attitude of heart, and it's the same with wives. I think submission would be a very easy thing for women to do if this fear was in place, if this phobia was in place, if reverence was in place. Submission isn't an issue. If I'm, if I'm walking down the street and some guy who's massive and he's got an AK-47 around his shoulder tells me, give me your phone and your wallet, I will say, will I go to the ATM for you as well? I would, you, get, you get everything. Have it. No problem. I don't mind. It's yours. Do you want this coat off my back? The Bible says give it to you. Have the coat off my back. No problem. Why? Because I would, I would revere and fear the, his capacity and ability to finish me on the spot. And yet, that's the way that why you should think to their husbands. If we had that fear, if, you, if that phobos, phobio was in place, then submission comes very easy. It's no problem because it's an hard attitude. And that's the same with Christ. When we fear God, any of you that got born again, you know, you feared God. I remember Sister Shauna giving her testimony. She said daily she went to bed before she got saved thinking, is this the day I'm going to die? Is this the day I go to hell for all of an eternity? I remember that too, Sister. The months coming to meetings and kind of all over the place and one foot inside the world, one foot with the Lord. And I remember being at parties thinking, man, you're going to give up eternity for this. You're going to die for something very... If you died now, you're going to hell and you wouldn't have a leg to stand on. And that feared me. You say, oh, well, fear shouldn't be a motivator. Should it not? People go to see cardiologists all the time because they're afraid of having heart troubles. You don't think fear should be a motivator? Why do you service your car? Because you're afraid that the thing will break down on you if you don't. Fear is a fantastic motivator. And the Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's in Proverbs. It's there. And so don't get, me, don't get it wrong. Don't get me mixed up. Don't get it twisted. I'm not saying that women should be walking around bowing down to their husbands all the time. But I am saying that we have, this modern day era, have gone so far in the other direction. There is no reverence at all in the homes. And then the children don't reverence their husbands because the children are watching how the wives act. And we need to put, if you're not there yet, if you haven't that in place, that's fine. Let us do it together. It's something we grow into. It's something we grow into maturity. That's why it's the aged women who are told to teach uh, to, to teach the younger women. It's not young women who are asked to teach the aged women. And, 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 and if, if young women, the, the Bible of age categories doesn't talk, it talks about children, young men, aged men. Children, young women, aged women. There's no adolescents, there's no teenagers. If you're a teenager, you're a young man now. Oscar, you're 13, you're a young man now. That's how these are. We, we're not going to treat you like a baby. You're going to be treated like a man now. And you know what? That's because we have respect for him. We have, people treat children like babies, like my little, little boy. And as a result, they're showing that they have no real respect for them. They don't expect much from them. The reason we bring a very, a very direct serious and somber word is because there's a great expectation on the real bride of Christ. 
on the real body of Christ, there's a huge expectation. But in that, there's an incredible blessing. We get to be in our Father's house someday. Do you realize that he's away preparing a mansion for you right now? Right now, he's gone to prepare a place for you. And in his mansion, there's many rooms. He's gone. He's up there working away on that now. And all he's asking for is our submission to him as a church. Saints of God, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. <clears throat> Proverbs 1 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and understanding. Fools despise wisdom and understanding. It is not for the husband to make you to fear, but it is for the woman to put that onto herself. The Bible says that, well, uh, wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband. Hypotasso, put yourself under. Arrange yourself in a position. That under does not mean does not mean worse. Absolutely not. And I, I spoke about that at length, so everyone understands that. But we are supposed to have an art, a heart attitude of submission, and that should be evident from the church here in our heart attitude towards Christ. Let's stand and pray. Father, Lord, we thank you, O God. We glorify you, O God, and praise you, O Father. Lord, for your word, O God. Lord, we thank you, O God. Lord, that you haven't left us to ourselves, O God. You haven't even left us to the, the modern-day marriage, O God, that where we just figure it all out for ourselves, O God, and it's he who shouts loudest wins, O God. But you have corrected men, you've corrected women, O God. Lord, you put in place appropriate uh, structures, O God, and you show us how we can have peaceful marriages, perfect union in Christ. And Lord, I thank you, O Father, Lord, that just as the planets are in orbit today, so you've set men and women, wives and husbands, in perfect unity and orbit and balance, O oh God, that they might complement one, one another at all times, O oh Father. Lord, I thank you, O oh Father. Lord, for a help meet, O oh God. I thank you for helpers, O oh God. I thank you that you showed us, Lord, a perfect example in your Son that he did not come to be ministered unto, but to minister. And Lord, I ask you, help us to have that same heart of, of ministering unto others and thinking about others before ourselves here today. We ask it in Jesus' mighty and wonderful name.